Good morning. If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them? Uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 7. If you don't own a Bible, as I say often, you, there are Bibles there in the seats in front of you, and you are welcome to take that. Um, that could be our gift to you. If you know someone who needs one, we'll just, you could just take it, and we'll, we'll, we'll put a, a new one there for next week. So, um, but we'll be in Matthew chapter 7, and I just want to extend a special welcome to all of you back from winter break. Uh, I know some of you came back last week, some of you this week, but all of you, welcome back. If you, I hope you had a great Christmas uh, holiday weekend with your family. Uh, if, you're, if you're new here, and I know that there are several, I've talked to a few this morning, uh, welcome, welcome to Ridgeview. And uh, if you're moving to the area, I, I just want to encourage you to consider making uh, Ridgeview your home while you're here for college or, or what have you. Uh, just like what Jaden said this morning. And if you have any questions, uh, I, my name is Pastor Mike Johnson. My, my uh, information there is in the bulletin that w- was handed out, uh, contact information. I'd love to talk to you. In fact, there's uh, a list of church leaders there, deacons and elders, and you could reach out to any one of them. And we would love to talk to you about the church or answer any questions you have. Maybe, maybe something that we say today that I say now would be confusing to you and you, you want to know more. Uh, about what it means to be a Christian or any of those kind of things, I would love to talk to you. So just reach out. Don't be shy. I'd love to uh, connect with you. I'll be around after the service too uh, if you'd like to connect then. But again, Matthew 7 is our text. And what we're doing here, what we do traditionally as a church is we work through books of the Bible. We've been working through Matthew for the last 15 years. We're in chapter 7 today. Hasn't been that long. Hasn't been that long. We're actually cooking pretty fast, I think. But today, our text, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, which starts in Matthew 5, and uh, it goes to Matthew 7. And right now, today, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. So I'm going to read that, and then we'll dive in here. So the Word of God says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray again. Father, I pray this morning that your your word and your spirit would move in our hearts and bring encouragement, would help us to sense and feel and know your love. Lord, I, I know there are people here who come this morning weary, downtrodden, Oh, Lord, give, give hope and life and encouragement, strengthen weak knees. I pray that you'd move here among us, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we would learn what it means that anyone who, who asks receives. I, I pray that we would be spurred on and we would leave behind prayerlessness for good. And turn to you when we have needs. Turn to you with our needs. We always have them. And I I pray for your help this morning, for clarity when it comes to the gospel and with handling your word. I pray that those things will be clear to your people and encouraging. 
And Lord, we love you. We are so grateful for the grace that you have shown us in Christ. Specifically, I thank you and I, 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 I think I'm, I'm praying with a, a whole congregation of people who are thankful that you have made us your children. What an amazing grace you have shown us. I pray, among other things, that we would just rejoice in that reality this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we dive into that passage that we just read together, let me, let's consider for a moment a few things that we have seen thus far in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I know some of you are just joining this series. Others haven't. Maybe you've read it before, but you can go back and read it. But here are a few things from Matthew 5 through 7 from this sermon. We call it Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is sitting on a hillside. He's preaching. There's, we call it Sermon on the Mount because he's actually preaching on a mount. Um, and, and this is uh, one of the most famous sermons ever preached, and it is by far the greatest sermon ever preached. Not, not my sermon here, this, the Sermon on the Mount is. Just make sure that's clear. <laughs> but I want you to see that there are some pretty heavy demands here in this sermon. Really heavy, okay? Way back in Matthew 5.20, Jesus said that our righteousness, if we, are to, if we have any hope to enter the kingdom of heaven, must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And if you know or have any idea of who the Pharisees were, that's heavy. I mean, they were the experts. They were the ones who were religious and pious. And Jesus is saying that our righteousness must exceed theirs if we're to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then much of the Sermon on the Mount shows us the ways in which our righteousness must exceed their righteousness, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. For example, it's not enough just to avoid literal murder. I mean, that's the first thing everyone says when you talk about the Ten Commandments. Well, I've never killed anyone. Well, Jesus comes along and he says it's not enough to, to just not physically kill somebody. To not be guilty of the sin of murder. In order to obey the command, we must not be angry or hateful in our hearts to someone. It's not enough to merely be faithful to one's spouse with your physical body. We cannot lust in our hearts after someone who is not our spouse. It's not enough to just mind our own business as long as everyone else minds their own business. We have to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and give up our cloaks when they demand our tunics. It's not enough to merely love our friends. We have to love our enemies. We have to love those who hate us and who, who scornfully treat us. We must forgive others when they wrong us. We must be a generous, giving people who gives selflessly without being motivated by the praise of man. We must, we, we must pray and fast and live out our Christian lives without trying to impress people. We cannot be motivated by appearances. I mean, this is all in the sermon. I'm just giving you a, a survey of some of the demands that Jesus has for you and for this world. We are called to lay up our treasures in heaven, not on earth. We must not be anxious, but trust God with our lives, our daily provision, what we need. We must not judge others by a measure that we would not want to be judged by. Uh, there's more, there's more to this, but, but that's just, I just skimmed the surface of a sermon to make that list, but you feel it, right? Wow, this is not a light sermon. It's heavy. 
It's full of massive demands. How in the world are we to obey this sermon? And Jesus isn't done yet, by the way. Just prepare you. He's not finished by the middle of Matthew 7. He will yet call us to do unto others as we would have them do to us. He will command us to remain on a narrow way that leads to life, not on the broad way that everyone else travels. He's going to command us to build our houses, the house of our Christian lives on the rock of faith and obedience to our Lord and not on the shifting sands of the world. This is, this is massive, friends, massive. You probably feel that. Maybe you feel that even outside of the Sermon on the Mount. You, you feel the weight of the Christian life. Meaning, you sense the heaviness of the demands of Scripture on your life, and sometimes, if you're like me, it feels heavy. Some of you today or this week have struggled again for the umpteenth time to overcome the sin of lust and pornography and spend an evening in dreadful guilt and shame. Some of you are struggling with bitterness against someone who has wronged you in the past and that bitterness again reared its ugly head in your heart and you struggled to put it down. Others perhaps are fighting back on what seems like a losing battle against discouragement. If I'm being honest, that's something I struggled with this week as I studied this passage. I found myself fighting tooth and nail to have joy in the Lord and not succumb to discouragement. Some of you are struggling just to grow up as Christians, like to to leave the past behind, to grow in your Christian lives. You feel like you've been stagnant. Growth in many areas have come slow. Anyone relating to any of this? I hope you relate to this because it is that sense, it's into that sense, that sense that we are weak and needy and, that's, and the sense that the demands are massive, that Jesus gives these sweet commands loaded with these sweet promises in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Friends, if you are struggling in life, this is a passage for you. This is a passage we need to hear as we sense, on the one hand, the heaviness of all that Jesus demands and of this world and of us specifically, and on the other hand, our weaknesses and our failures. This is exactly the sermon we need when we are feeling downtrodden and weary. This is exactly, I believe, the intent of these verses and why they are here in this place on the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus graciously showing us that all is not lost. And we are not left on our own to grow We're not left on our own to just figure this out, to struggle, to to try to keep our head above water. We're not just left by God to do this. We have a lifeline. We have a heavenly father who gives good things to those who ask. This is Jesus saying, yes, these demands are heavy and they are in fact beyond your strength completely. You cannot do this Christian life by yourself. You cannot do this life by yourself, friend. But there is really good news in that. And there is a means of grace right here for you. And by these means, you will overcome. You can ask and it will be given. You can seek and you will find. You can knock and it will be opened to you. Your father in heaven knows how to give good gifts to those who ask. So don't just sit there. Ask. 
Seek, knock. It's the main idea of this passage and I find it so refreshing and so helpful and so life-giving. I can pray to my Father. Let's spend a few moments this morning exploring five amazing things about this passage. I've identified five things that I believe from this passage Jesus wants you to know about prayer. Five wonderful things to encourage you and help you know and realize you are not on your own, friend. Five wonderful things. Five things to spur you on to turn to your Father in heaven. May the Lord use this to stir in our hearts a love... hearts that love to be dependent on our Father. I pray that he would transform us into people who love to come to him by prayer. So what are the five things Jesus wants you to know about prayer? Well, number one, first, I think he wants you to know and see very clearly that prayer is not optional. It's not an optional part of the Christian life. It is an essential means of grace. And you can see that here by the ways that we are both invited and commanded to pray. The way that he has urged us and encouraged us to pray. It is so powerful, the wording and the language here. Look at verses 7 and 8. Asking, seeking, and knocking. The three ways to say the same thing. And they're all imperative. Like, it's a command. It's clear. You can see that these are commands just by that. We're commanded to pray, but they're not merely commands. He doesn't just say one time, okay, you need to pray. He, he could have done that, right? But he says it three times in three different ways in verse seven, in one verse. And then he essentially repeats those three different ways in verse eight, three times, times two. He's getting at something, guys. I mean, people don't repeat things three times, times two for nothing. I, when I moved to Russia many years ago, many of you know that I was a missionary in Russia. When I moved there uh, many years ago, the first order of business was to learn the Russian language and culture. And the funny thing in the Russian, there's a funny thing in the Russian culture that I learned pretty early. It's in many other cultures too. Now I know, but I didn't know that then. I hired this Russian teacher. This is how this works. I, I hired this Russian teacher, a local guy. He would come over to my house, my apartment in the mornings, and we would study together. One day early on, he came to my apartment, and before he sat down to work, uh, before we sat down together to work, I asked him if he would like to have a cup of tea. That's a customary thing to ask somebody if they'd like a cup of tea. And he, did, he said, nope, thank you. And so I said, great. So I, I turned and I left and I went and I prepared this really nice, hot, steaming cup of tea. It was a cold day, Siberia. I came back, sat down, and he's looking at this tea. It's steaming, very inviting. I'm like, all right, let's get to work. And he says, hey, you know what? Instead of language today, I want to teach you a cultural lesson. I'm like, all right. His name was Jorgal. He was a great guy. He is a great guy. Um, but he said, you, you know, my Russians don't just ask something once. When they offer something, they never, they never just offer something once. If you offer it once and you stop there, it means that you didn't really offer it. You didn't really want them to take it. You know what I mean? You have to ask three times in Russian. You have to ask them three times if you want tea. And so the next week when he came for the class, I thought, I, I got him now, you know? So he explained all this to me. And so he comes and I just said it all at once. I said, you know, I just, you know, do you want tea? Do you want tea? Do you want tea? And he then instructed me that, no, you can't just ask it the same way. You have to ask it three different ways for it to be genuine. And you have to spread it out a little bit. Would you like some tea? Would you, would you, how, would you like some sugar or cream in your tea? Hey, would you, are, you, are you sure you don't want tea? I've got this really 
good new branded tea that you, you, you want to try. It's really tasty. And then you've done your duty. Three times you show the emphasis you want them to drink your tea. Jesus is teaching us here. I don't know how that relates, but it's three. Three slightly different ways. One thing he's teaching us here. There are three ways to say pray. These are the three ways. Ask, seek, knock. At the very least, this emphasis shows us how important prayer is to God, how it should be important to us. It's not optional, friend. It's not optional. We are both invited and we are commanded to pray. I hope you'll consider that for your life. I mean, do you view prayer as more like an extra add-on that you'll do if you have time in the morning? Or do you see it as a command and an invitation to pray to your heavenly father with your needs and your requests? So that's number one. Number two, the second thing Jesus wants us to know about prayer is that it must be active and persistent. The words asking, seeking, and knocking, they're not passive activities, right? They're active and together they paint a picture of active persistence. This is not the guy who just sheepishly knocks on the door, you know, quietly. Oh, no one's home, quickly leaves. That's not that picture here, right? This is a persistent knocking, uh, like a, uh, I'm going to knock until you come to the door kind of knocking. I I know you're in there. I know you're there. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm not going anywhere till you come to this door. It's persistent. Effective prayer is persistent. We keep asking, we keep seeking, we keep knocking. In Luke's version of this very thing, uh, there's an example supplied to help us see the need to have persistence in our prayer. So if you'd like to turn, flip with me over to Luke chapter 11, and I'll read verses five through nine. I think we'll display it too. Luke 11, five through nine. It says, well, I, you can turn. Jesus said to them, which of you, this is Luke eleven five, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he, and he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is shut now and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, here it is. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, the reason that he gave, Yet because of his impudence, impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, you ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. I love that because of his impudence. And that, that could be, your translation might have persistence there. That is the idea there. Persistence. Because of his persistence, he will give him whatever he needs. Why? Why the need for persistent prayer? I mean, that's a legit question, right? Like, why does God want us to be persistent in our prayer? It's, it's not like he's slow or forgetful or unwilling to help you unless you badger him. That's, it's, not the, it's, it's none of those things. You know what it is? Our persistence in prayer cultivates an awareness and a sense of our dependence before God. Our understanding that we are dependent of God, needy of his help, Prayer is not a checkbox thing. Okay, I prayed for that thing. What's next? Or, I prayed for that. What's plan B? Now we keep knocking. Lord, I know you're in there. I need you. I won't stop knocking till you come to this door because I have no hope outside of you. 
I have no plan B if this God thing doesn't work out. I've got nothing if you don't come to this door. So I'm going to keep knocking. There are no other doors that I can go to and knock on. I just have you. You're it. So I'm going to keep knocking. Do you see? We must be persistent in prayer. And and in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus wants you to know that. Be persistent in prayer. And Jesus wants us to know, this number three, that we can have confidence and assurance in praying like that. I mean, look at all the assurance that's loaded into this passage. If this was a a U-Haul, it would be stuffed full of assurance and promise. I don't know why I came up, I know I was loading a U-Haul while I wrote that, I think. It doesn't fit as well as I thought, but you know what I mean? Like the thing is full of assurance. This passage, if it was a U-Haul, full of assurance and promise. I mean, just look at it with me. Look at verse seven. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. And then verse eight, to support verse seven, he basically repeats himself with more words of promise. Everyone who asks, receives. So the one who seeks, finds. The the one who knocks, the door will be opened to him. Three times, times two. You know why? It's for assurance. It's so that you can pray with confidence. So that you can know God hears you when you pray. You can believe him. And then to support that further, there's an argument here from lesser to greater. Jesus compares our imperfect care of our children with God's perfect care of his children. A human father loves his kids. This is the lesser argument. A human father loves his kids by nature and will by nature give good things. Things his children need when they ask. And I say by nature, but what I mean is that impulse of a father to do good for his children, that's there because he's made in the image of God. God designed that that way. So it's, it's a common experience. A, a father, believer or not, wants to do good things for his children. Now I know, I know that's not true for every, in every case. That's generally true. So if it's not true in your case, I know it's, it's true generally. We want to do good for our children. A human father made in the image of God cares for his children because he is in God's image. God designed it that way. Now the, the point is that when I help my children in some way, I mean, you know, no one, when I help my children, no one thinks, man, he's such a good guy. Right when I was pondering this, my son came in and asked me to take him to work. You know what I did? Like it was early Saturday morning. I fired up my truck and I took him to work. And, and you're not thinking right now, wow, what an amazing person you are. Now, if I went around and I picked up all your kids and brought them to work, maybe that would have been, but this was just like what dads do, right? This is what dads do. We, we care for our children. It's, it's just normal. That's the lesser argument, which is a normal thing. You know how to do this. You do it imperfectly, but you know how to do this. I do these things imperfectly at best. All human fathers are imperfect. And then there's the greater argument. Jesus says it in verse 11. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who doesn't do anything imperfectly, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? What assurance. 
Even my imperfect experience as a human father and my imperfect desire to provide and to care for my kids testifies to the reality that my heavenly father cares. And that I can have confidence when I pray. Jesus wants us to know that we can have assurance, we can have confidence, we can boldly pray. And along with that, this is number four, Jesus makes a, a wonderful truth clear, a truth that's clear to us here. Jesus wants you to know that when you pray to the God of heaven, when you pray to the God of heaven and earth, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, self-existent, everywhere present at once, God over all, you are praying to your heavenly Father. When you pray to God, you're praying to your Father, and that should give you such confidence in prayer, such boldness. Why is it that way? How How is it that we are his children? How is it that he is our Father specifically? Glad you asked. Turn with me to John chapter one, and I'll read verses nine through 13. We read this in Sunday school this morning. It's such an amazing passage. John one, nine through 13. John writes, the true light, John 1, 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Listen to this, okay? Listen to this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The right to become children of God. Isn't that amazing? God has given us the right through Christ to be children of God. To be able to relate to God, not just as the God of heaven and the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is that, but as our father. We relate to him as our father. You know, Jesus, as he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, was doing the work to make us the children of God. He was, he was doing the incarnate ministry of his life that would lead to the cross, where his body would be broken and his blood would be shed in our place. He was walking to the place where he would cry out to his father, why have you forsaken me? He was walking to the place where he would lay down his life for his sheep where he would die and die in your place and in my place. He would be buried. On the third day, he would rise from the grave and conquer death. This was the work that God would do and has done so that you could be called a child of God. Isn't that amazing? Shouldn't that stir in your heart a desire to talk to him? He's your father. He's your father. As John 1.12 says, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be the children of God. Friend, if you are believing in his name, by the grace of God in Christ, you have been given the right to call him father. You have been given the right to be the children of God. Are you believing today? Is your faith and your hope and your confidence in Christ and in Christ alone today? Do you want to be his child? Do you want to relate to him as father? Only through Christ can we do that. 
All those who believe in his name have the right, given to them by God's grace, to be the children of God. We pray to our Father. Honestly, that, I think that truth alone ought to shame the prayerlessness right out of us. I don't mean to spur you on by shame, but the reality that God is our heavenly Father and we have access to him by prayer, like we have his very ear, like a, like a child has his dad's ear, we have God's ear. That ought to make prayerlessness in your life seem utterly ridiculous. How can I not talk to him with my needs? How can I bear my load alone or try to or pretend to? How can I not ask? How can I not seek? How can I not knock? He is my father. We pray to our father. Number five, the fifth thing that Jesus wants you to know about prayer from this passage is that God gives good gifts to those who ask. Look again with me at verses nine and 10. I'll read it again. It says, or which, of, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Don't misunderstand that. Okay, before I get to what it means, let me just say something it doesn't mean. Jesus is not saying that God gives us everything we ask in prayer. A lot of people read it that way. A lot of people today, especially in our wealthy West, read it like that. You, you pray for something, doesn't matter what it is, what it'll do for you, God will answer it if you pray with faith. It's not the point of what Jesus is saying. The point is that if a son needs bread, God's not gonna give him a stone. If a son needs a fish, he's not gonna give him a snake. God gives good gifts to those who ask him. Human fathers don't even do that. How much more God, right? How much less our heavenly father would give us something we don't need. He gives, as verse 11 says, good things to those who ask him. Good things. Good things like bread and fish. Not bad things like stones and snakes. And I take that to mean that if I ask him for something that's not good for me, he is going to give me good things, not what I don't need. And believe me, friends, we ask for things. We sometimes ask for snakes. We sometimes ask for stones. If I pray for a stone or a serpent, because frankly, I don't always know it's good for me, he will not answer that that way. And that's helpful, you know, especially when we consider times that we've prayed and prayed for God to do a certain thing, a very specific thing. We've prayed and God answered very differently than we wanted him to. We asked him to give us that job or we asked him to give us that person as a spouse or that outcome to this situation and it didn't go the way that we wanted. It didn't go the way that we asked. We asked him to give life and our loved one passed. The assurance and the comfort even the great comfort here and the confidence that we can have in prayer is that God gives good things to those who ask. We sometimes don't know what's good for us, but our father knows. The father knows how to give good things to those who ask. There is a silly thing that Christians often say, and most of the time, I don't think that they mean it in a very serious way, but I want to address it just as a way to maybe prod the way that we think about prayer and God and the way that he answers prayer for his children. Many times Christians have said something like this to me, okay? Don't ever pray for patience, Mike. Don't ever pray for patience. You know why? Because if you pray that, God's gonna, he's gonna give you patience. He's gonna do something to you. 
He's gonna, he's gonna bring something in your life you're not gonna want. I've even heard that lamentably in a few sermons. Now, again, don't get mad at me if you're one of the ones who said that to me. Uh, just pray for patience and with me. Hear me out. I know you didn't mean it, but the sentiment is almost as if we fear that God is going to give us a stone or a snake when what we need is bread and fish. God is not like that. You can pray your heart out for what you think you need. Pray your heart out. Bring your anxieties to him. Cast your cares upon him. Put them all at him. Just trust him. Believe him that he will give fish. He will give bread. He will give you what you need because he's good and you can trust him. You can pray for patience. You can pray for endurance. You can pray for faith in trials. He is not out to get you if you pray wrong. He wants you to find your hope in him and he will give you what you need for that end. God knows how to give good gifts to those who ask. So in the words of the old hymn, let me just ask you, are you weary today, heavy laden? Are you sore distressed? You know that hymn? No one knows that hymn. It's a good hymn. You know that hymn? Are you needy today? If you've been paying any attention to the Sermon on the Mount, you better feel needy. If you've been attempting to live out this Christian life in sincerity and genuineness, not just in outward motion and just checking boxes, you ought to feel needy. I have what might feel like bad news at first, but really isn't. You are needy today. You are. You're desperately needy. I'm, I'm desperately needy too. You're needy of God's grace in every way. You need him for your very standing before God. You need him because of your sin. You need him because you are needy. I hope you know that. I hope you sense that. I hope you even feel that a little bit this morning. And maybe you do. Maybe you need no help feeling that this morning. Maybe you feel heavy laden and sore distressed. And that might feel like a bad thing. And it would be if it wasn't for this truth. It's not a bad thing. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open to you. Persistently go to your heavenly father with your needs and go to him with confidence because everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door's opened. God knows how to give good gifts to those who ask. So turn to him this morning. Turn to him this week. Begin cultivating in your life a habit of grace. Begin that. It's a new year almost. I mean, we're into it a little bit, right? But start praying. Don't live as if you're independent of God. What a farce. You're not. You need him for, the, for your heart to keep beating and your lungs to keep working and for you to live out the Christian life in every aspect. Turn, turn with persistence, turn with assurance, turn with confidence. You're praying to your father who knows how to good give gifts. All right, I'm gonna pray. And then I've invited Kristen Hulls to come and share how God has worked in her life. And then after that, we will partake together of the Lord's Supper. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege through Christ that we have to pray. 
Thank you that it is not some religious thing that we do to check off some box, but that we talk to you, our heavenly father, and that you know how to give gifts to those who ask. So father, I pray that we be a people who ask. I pray that I be a man who seeks. I pray that these before me be people who knock on that door. Oh Lord, help us to, to, to see this independent spirit in us for the evil that it is and the, the lie that it is. We are so needy of you. We are grateful this morning that we can turn to you and that you hear our prayers and you answer them. Help us to humble ourselves before you, casting all our cares upon you for you care for us. And Lord, we pray together here for Kristen. Would you give her clear thoughts, clear words, and help her to share clearly the work that you have done in her life. In Jesus' name, amen.